with not your truth or kindness, Lord. With not your truth or kindness, Lord. Welcome to The Notice, where together we notice the mercy of God. I'm Susan Hookstra, your host. The Notice podcast explores our need to be noticed through biblical musings and conversations with special guests. Experience relevant topics and encouragement as we take notice of how God and mercy satisfies. On this episode of The Notice, do you often grumble, whine, criticize people, situations, or ideas? Does it bring you joy? With all the negativity surrounding us, is a cure for complaining even possible? Stay tuned for this episode where I welcome Kim Law, co-author of the book, The Complaining Cure. We talk about how we can become more aware of our thoughts and words, develop new attitudes, find freedom from negativity, and take notice of God instead. Kim Wall and her husband, Bill, serve as lead pastors at River Church, a vibrant, multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Fort Gratiot, Michigan. They are passionate proponents of discipleship who desire to see heaven manifest itself in the lives of believers. Both are high-impact teachers and speakers who love to share biblical truth to help people change how they think and reach the world around them. They are also co-authors of the book, The Complaining Cure, How to Quit Grumbling, Stop Criticizing, and Find Abundant Joy. Bill and Kim have been married for more than 30 years, have three amazing children and three grandchildren. Kim is also a teaching pastor and speaker, and I'm so excited to have her on the notice. So Kim, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Susan. I am so excited to be here. I'm excited you're here too. And, you know, to be excited about talking about complaining, well, I think it's a good thing. (laughs) I think it's a good thing. You know, Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without complaining or arguing. I don't know about you, Kim, but that's tough. Mm -hmm. I'm sure many of the listeners out there will say everything. Did they really mean that? So of all things, we're going to dive right in here. Of all things, what brought you and your husband to the place where you decided you wanted to write a book about complaining? Uh, That's a great question because to your point, that is not one of your most uh, exciting topics ever in the Bible. Um, And it's not something that most people want to talk about because we're pretty comfortable with it. But our experience, our journey into this topic started in 2017, and I was leading a women's discipleship group. I was headed to our monthly meeting when Holy Spirit dropped into my heart, Philippians 2.14, to do everything without complaining. And so I thought, okay, then we'll talk about that. So I didn't have any prep. I thought this week we'll sit down and we'll talk about it, and then we'll be moving on because it's such a short, short verse. So when I presented it to the group and we began to discuss it, um, I was shocked at how far down we went into the conversation. And I said, well, then we're going to continue this at our next meeting. And it went on like that for months Mm -hmm. where we just talked about this one verse. And it was shocking, all the things that God was just unearthing out of our out of our hearts, the junk that was coming out, uh, the conviction that we were experiencing. And so 
several months into this conversation, one of the girls said, when my husband and I are having a really difficult season, we will take a negativity fast. And the moment she said that, Holy Spirit just zinged my heart Mm -hmm. and said to me, issue a challenge to go seven days without complaining. So I did. Mm. So uh, they all agreed. And every day I would get up, I would send a little devotional into our group text. And we went seven days with the challenge of no complaining. And when we met at the end of that, wow, it, it was just unbelievable what we discovered about ourselves and what we discovered about the condition of our own hearts. And um, the Lord just really, I mean, we thought we had already dredged up a bunch of junk in our conversations over the past several months. But this was Mm -hmm. just unbelievable what happened in those seven days. And so obviously my husband was along with me in that journey because I am doing the challenge. So if I'm doing it, you're doing it. Mm -hmm. So here we are together. And at the end of it, um, he said, you know, we've got this series that's coming up in November. Let's, let's, uh, it's about our mouth. The series was called me and my big mouth. And so he said, when you speak that week, I want you to talk about this and issue the challenge to the church. And so we did, and we did it again, and it was amazing, and it was wonderful. And everybody just thought, oh, this is so incredible. This is great. I really learned a lot. But here's where it kind of shifted and really got personal. If it wasn't already personal enough, it really got personal for us. At the end of the church-wide challenge, uh, we discovered that the parsonage we were living in was full of toxic levels of mold and formaldehyde. Mm-hmm. And we, it explained a lot of uh, unexplained illnesses that we were having. Um, and it also meant that we lost almost everything. And so as we just stood there stunned at, at what was unfolding in front of us, the Lord said, and that's why you've been discussing complaining for six months. Mm-hmm. I've been preparing you. And the reality of that uh, just hit me so hard. And in it, I saw the goodness of God and I saw his faithfulness to us, um, knowing that we were going to be at this point and knowing that if we had not done this really deep work in advance, that grumbling and complaining and criticizing would have swallowed us whole in this uh, catastrophic event in our lives. So he equipped you. (laughs) He did. He fully equipped us. And so as we began to take that journey, um, the book started to come out of that. Um, The Lord said, I really want you to share everything that I've given you and everything that I've told you. And so I started to pull from those uh, discipleship conversations and things that I had written down in the challenge and things that I had written down um, as we were going through the whole mold journey. And um, the book just kind of evolved out of that. Well, you know, this book is wonderful. I have to say, I was, well, I would just say it was convicting. How's that? (laughs) (laughs) But the first part of the book is a section that calls the science of complaining. You explain a little bit about how this all works. And one of the things you say is it's the work, it's the use of the word hydrophobic. (laughs) I'm sure I'm not saying that word yet, but it was really interesting. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about what you were referring to with that? Sure. Um, In the most simplest of terms, um, in chemistry, hydrophobicity is the absence of the attraction to water. So very, very loosely put, it's the inability to absorb water. 
And so in the book, we talk about hydrophobicity as it relates to severely burned soil. So, and all of this comes out of James' conversation um, in the book of James about how our tongue um, can, you know, set a spark and ignite a fire. And so the Lord took me to that passage and I just began to think about that and meditate on that. And so I started doing some research and reading on um, forest fires. So often in a forest fire, the scorching of the fire prevents the soil from absorbing water. And without the ability to hold on to water, the new life has difficulty growing in that charred soil. So instead of water being a benefit, it becomes a hindrance and it erodes away the topsoil. And the runoff of the ash and the sediment of the topsoil then often pollutes the rivers, the streams um, nearby, and it becomes toxic to fish and other life. And it also has the potential to contaminate other wildlife that would be nearby. So depending upon the severity of the fire, the length of time in which it burned, how slowly it burned, it could take a decade or more for a forest to recover from a fire. And years after uh, it's been extinguished, you often see the evidences of that fire, um, particularly where hydrophobicity is present because you can see the charred remains um, because nothing is growing there. Mm -hmm. And you can often still smell the singed odor because you don't smell plants and greenery and things that are normally growing, you know, on a forest floor. And so that singed smell kind of hangs in the air. Okay, so how does that relate to the impact of words and specifically to the topic at hand, which is complaining and criticism? Well, as Jane said, words can be the spark that sets a fire within our soul. And, you know, our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. So it can set a fire in our own soul, or it can set a fire within uh, the soul of other people. Words that were spoken you know, innocently or offhandedly, carelessly, or even maybe even specifically intentionally uh, can burn us. We can burn ourselves with our own words. We can burn other people with our own words and mm. burn ourselves very, very deeply. And words have the ability to leave us so deeply wounded that nothing can grow in the soil of our heart. No confidence or self-respect or self-love or value or worth or purpose or hope. No dreams grow there. Passion doesn't grow there. And, and then words can create such damage that the runoff of our heart becomes toxic and it pollutes the lives of those who are around us. And so words have the ability to leave such deep scars that years after, years later, uh, past the offense, the effects of those words are still evident in our life. So without even realizing it, words are still at work in us. And so when we are criticized, whether we criticize ourselves or we criticize someone else, those words are setting a fire in our soul or someone else's soul. When we complain, uh, it does have the ability to set a fire in someone else's soul, but it, it most definitely sets a fire in our own soul. So words have very, are very, very powerful and can prevent good things from taking root in our hearts because we're so damaged and wounded by those words. Wow, that's pretty powerful. I know in the book you also say a repeated thought or action rewires your brain so you can more efficiently accomplish that action in the future. So 
if we take what you just said and we apply that to complaining, it could just, it could be a wildfire. <laughs> you know, it could just make everything worse, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. What you're referring to there about this repeated thought or action rewiring our brain, that's called, that's a scientific term of um, neuroplasticity. And neuroplasticity is your brain's ability to reshape and reorganize itself. That means that the brain is malleable, it's moldable, it can be formed, which means it changes. It can adapt and reconfigure. So continual thoughts that you have and the words that you use are imprinting neural pathways, um, or we could say it like this, are creating bridges, making it much easier for you to repeat those same thoughts and step into those same actions that are associated with those thoughts. That's what neuroplasticity is, and we use it all the time. So let's just say you want to learn how the piano, play the piano. When you sit down and you begin to play, your fingers don't know what to do, and they're supposed to be doing something independently from your eyes. So your eyes are reading something up here, putting information into your brain, feeding it down in through to your hands, and then what you saw with your eyes is going to come up through your hands. And when you first try to do that, it's a mess. It, it, the coordination is a mess, and then sometimes your left hand needs to be doing something different than your right hand, and that's very hard to coordinate and get it all together. But the more you practice, the more you repeat that action, um, your brain reaches out to different parts of your brain and creates these bridges and connects what you see and how it comes out through your fingers and the more you do it, the more fluid you become at it, till eventually you're a fantastic pianist. And, and that's true with absolutely anything that you do. If you're learning how to eat, if you want to juggle, I mean, no matter what it is, the process is the same. That's how we learn things. Learning is your brain adapting to, to this new information. So the danger is if we start complaining, it, we keep complaining, and then we view everything in that in a negative light, so to speak. So God is pretty serious about this. He wants us not to complain. I know there's somebody out there who's going to say, Kim, but I have to vent. I really have to vent. I have to get this off. So what, in your mind, what's the difference between complaining and venting? In my opinion, uh, there is absolutely no difference whatsoever <laughs> in complaining and venting. It's all the same. It's all the same. And it's funny because I, I, I did a recent podcast because I do some podcasts where I, I'm interviewing people and some that are our own. And I talked about the difference between venting and lamenting. And I think sometimes we get into this situation where we think it's okay to vent, you know. And yeah. in, I remember one time I was, I, my husband and I were living in different locations he would come to visit me and I, I was in a job that wasn't really working out really well. And all I did was vent and vent and vent. So I decided to put a timer on how long I vented because I thought I could see the look in his face like, oh, no, I just drove all this way. And now she's <laughs> venting, you know, yeah. and, 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 and honestly, at that stage of my life, I thought venting, I had to, you know, because it was so much. But God taught me about the lament which is different, which is really, in essence, we're taking those, whatever's going on with us, and we're taking it to God, right? Mm -hmm. 
So the momentous is a really important, you know, one of the things I wanted to just kind of run around with you is on a previous podcast, I talked about this and I said, I gave these different um, statements. So I want to get your opinion. One of the statements was, I never get any appreciation around here and no one helps me out. Is that a vent or is it a lament? It's a vent. Mm -hmm. So a vent and we're kind of putting complaining and venting in the same category, right? That is correct. That is complaining. So what about this one? I feel really tired and neglected and I'm doing the best I can. God, can you help me help others to see I need help? That's lamenting. That is, um, and in our book, we would call that processing. That is going to God and and taking him, uh, the, the fear, the anxiety, the worry, the struggle, the frustration, whatever it is that you've got. And bringing that to him, so that definitely is in the lamenting category. And in the ch- in one of the chapters in your book, you, I love it. It's called "Opinions Are Like Onions." In that chapter, you talk about this venting versus processing or lamenting, if you will. I loved how you talked about it because you gave us two camps: you gave us the camp of broadcast and the camp of denial. I would love for you to explain our listeners about what those two camps means and how processing is. Processing is actually healthy for us, but complaining isn't. Okay. Um, I, I loved this uh, scenario. I felt like Holy Spirit just kind of downloaded that whole thing into me. Um, it, so we, we see camp broadcast is the, it's where you live when venting is your primary form of communication. We tell everybody uh, everything that we think about everything and everyone that we're unhappy about. I call venting emotional vomiting. Mm. I just want to get it out, uh, get it off our chest. And we don't really care who knows. And we tend to live on repeat, telling the same saga, but we'll just add to it. Well, now you won't believe what she said. Well, mm-hmm. you're not going to, you are mm-hmm. not going to believe what mm-hmm. happened today. You're just adding something to that. That kind of makes you think of what you were talking about in that little season of your life where you were complaining to your husband. It was the same scenario on repeat. It just had little nuances each time you saw him to add to that. But camp denial, um, that is where repression is preferred over communication. Because sometimes it's just easier to not talk about it. And it seems like it would be a good idea to ignore or deny or repress or even compartmentalize those emotions and, and just shut them off in those areas of our life, because if we don't feel the stress of the problem, then we don't really have to deal with the problem. And in all honesty, some of us in our attempt to really uh, follow Jesus and do the right thing and try not to complain, we think that the answer is to just not talk about it and ignore it altogether. And neither one of those places, can't broadcast is not healthy and neither is camp denial for whatever reason that you're living there. And Holy Spirit would prefer that we live in the camp of happy and healthy, um, where not everything in our life may be perfect, but where we are journeying with him through everything that is happening in our life. So when Holy Spirit's instructed us to do everything without complaining or arguing, he, his intention was not for us to ignore it. Because Father God did not hardwire us to live in denial. He hardwired us for communication. He also did not hardwire us to have 
the wrong type of communication where we're just vomiting on people everywhere. His plan was that if we find ourselves in difficult situations when we're dealing with challenging people, when we're coming up against repeat offenders, when we're feeling disappointed or frustrated or resentful or angry or whatever that might be, we do need to talk about it. But we need to start with talking about it to Jesus. That's right. Yeah. We process through that rough patch and the difficult season by communicating with Jesus because he's our best friend. And we should be pouring our hearts out to him. Bill and I, our, our favorite scripture, and any time that we would sign our name to the book, uh, we use the scripture, Psalm 142, too, that says, I pour out my complaints before him, and I tell him all of my troubles. Because sometimes when I bring it to Jesus and I say it and I get it out of my mouth, all of a sudden I realize this issue is actually a non-issue. And like I just made a mountain out of a molehill. Because in his presence, I have clarity. But then sometimes, as I'm talking to him about it, um, and, and you've got to remember that communication is a two-way street. So if you're going to talk, then you have to listen. Otherwise, you're just emotionally vomiting on Jesus. Right. So, you know, venting to Jesus, and it, it gets you nowhere. So you've got to tell him everything, but then you have to give him the space to let him tell you things. You've got to listen. And then when you stop and you take the time to listen to what he's saying, then he gives wisdom and guidance and direction and peace and whatever it is that you might need for that situation. He steps into that and he uh, gives us what we need in our conversations with him. And that is going to be a process. Um, usually, I, I very seldom have I gone into a conversation with Jesus and bam, he gave me the immediate fix. I did it and I never had a problem again. Usually, He's taking that problem that I'm having and he uses it to refine me mm -hmm. and takes me through this process of showing me maybe where I was wrong or showing me how I misunderstood or I'm not looking at it correctly and giving me the wisdom to know what to do or how to love in a really hard moment. Um, and that is done through the process of the relationship with him. But then there are definitely times when you need to talk to, you know, somebody with skin on, you know, you have to talk to a person and that's okay too. But before you sit down to process with a person, um, you've got to ask yourself this question. And this is the distinguishing factor between venting and processing is what is my motive? Why do I want to sit down and talk about it with this person? Why, what am I looking to accomplish with them? Do I just want somebody to sit and agree with me, validate me, sympathize with me, tell me, oh, how right I am, you know? Mm -hmm. Or do I actually want them to speak into my situation and give me feedback? Am I going to give them permission to say, you may have missed this, or you might not be right about that, or what you're doing doesn't seem like Jesus to me. It's not scriptural. Am I going to let them point out? Areas where I might be wrong or need help, am I going to be teachable? And, and I think that is the, the biggest difference between the two because processing is going to help you move from where you are into a healthy place where venting is only going to keep you trapped in the negative. Venting is like quicksand. You, you can work and work and work and never get anywhere because venting won't let you get anywhere because you're focused on the negative. 
But processing is like having a ladder in quicksand where with each step that I take and I'm taking the step, I'm doing the work, I get further and further out of the quicksand and then I'm, I'm learning and growing in that process. That's great. And I know for myself, I, the situation with my husband, I started putting a timer on. I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to let myself vent for 10 minutes you know, or 15 minutes or whatever it was. And then I stopped. And then the rest of the weekend, I was not going to, to vent. It really kind of seasoned me or taught me a, a spiritual skill, if you will, because I had to, every time I wanted to complain, I had to stop myself. And there were times that I kind of slipped up, but it taught me something. And then after a while, I said, I shouldn't even have the 10 minutes on, <laughs> you know, yeah, why am I yeah. giving myself the 10 minutes? You know, I'm getting myself 10 minutes to complain to my husband after I haven't seen him all week. I mean, really? So, yeah. I mean, this is something that I think we need some more self-awareness about because we sometimes think because we've been taught that you should vet because we don't want to repress. We don't want to mm -hmm. deny that we shouldn't even even say anything. And God's not saying that. He's saying, come to me. I want to heal you. You know, I don't know if you know of this musician named Michael Card, but he had this great quote about, about this. And I just wanted to state that for our listeners. He said, we all carry deep within ourselves a pressurized reservoir of tears. It takes only the right key at the right time to unlock them. In God's perfect time, these tears can be released to form a healing flood. That's the beauty and the mystery of the power of the lament. So God wants us to lament. He wants us to process, mm -hmm. but he wants us to, he wants us, that's why we can say, don't complain in everything, or don't, we're not supposed to complain in everything. Right, so, right. You know, I love how in this book you go through the science part and then you talk about in the middle section, you talk a little bit about the history and then you talk about the seven day challenge. Before we get to the seven day challenge, I really want to kind of talk a little bit about the history. Just how how did complaining get started? I mean, did did we just all of a sudden, is it just part of our sin nature or what, what's going on with that? Well, Bill and I feel that complaining is no different than any other sin and that it originated with the enemy, with Satan. And as we were praying through and working on this book, we felt like the Lord was leading us back to Genesis. And so as we started to read, we could clearly see in the conversation between the serpent and Eve in Genesis chapter three, you know, those are verses one through 13, I think, um, where they were having this conversation and as we begin to read where the serpent says, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? And, and I just, just felt like this, stop right there and look at that. And the more I began to look at it, I could completely see it's sly, it's subtle, but it is a very intentional dig toward God. Mm. Um, there's a lie in there, that's for sure. And we all seem to see that. But a complaint sometimes becomes a complaint because of the intonation of your voice, the inflection of mm -hmm. your voice, mm -hmm. the tone in which you say it. Like you, your words, if you just look at the words on paper, it's not a complaint. But when you match it with a, particular, with a particular way of saying it, you get what the speaker is saying. They're, right. they're implying something. It's hidden in the tone of their words. And, and I read that and I thought, oh, Absolutely. He's a, he is complaining that God would suggest they didn't have freedom. Mm -hmm. 
And then if you keep reading in the conversation, he says again to her, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. Okay, again, yes, it's absolutely a lie. But in the lie, the serpent is criticizing God, suggesting that he's been holding out on Eve, that God was, you know, shame on God. He's not letting you have all there is to have. You don't have the freedom that you thought you had. So the the, the serpent subdues Eve with lies, but those lies contain criticisms and complaints about God. So as we get aware of this, more aware of our complaining, more aware of the difference between complaining and processing, aren't there times, though, if we keep complaining, it can lead to unforgiveness? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think... I think that's part of the reason why the enemy wants us to complain so much. Um, Because the more we complain, we are partnering with him. Complaining words are words that partner with the enemy. And partnership with the enemy is always going to take us uh, to a place of sin. And unforgiveness is sin. And that's a hard one to swallow. But it's truth. And the reason why he would want us to continue to complain is because if I can't let go of an offense and forgive, it's because I am continually focused on that offense through complaining, complaining about what happened, criticizing the person who offended me, sometimes not even about the offense, but just complaining and criticizing about them because I'm holding an offense against them. And the more I talk about how, I'm frustrated or disappointed or unhappy or angry or whatever that might be in the form of complaining and criticism about that person, the deeper and deeper I go into unforgiveness. And then the offense just grows to epic proportions because I'm continually complaining and criticizing. But if I will change the way I think and the words that I say about that person who's hurt me by adopting God's thoughts, and his words about that person. And if I choose to look at those situations through his eyes, then forgiveness becomes easier. Now, I didn't say easy. I just said easier um, because sometimes forgiveness is super duper hard. You know, let's just be really honest about that. It's really hard. But if I'm processing through the event where I was hurt with Jesus and I am pouring out my complaint to him, Then I'm giving him the opportunity to speak, and I'm listening. Then he's going to share his heart with me on that person. And I have the opportunity to see through his eyes and hear with his ears Mm -hmm. and feel with his heart regarding that person in that situation. And here's the thing about Jesus. Um, Before I'm offended, he was offended. Or he was hurt. Jesus is never offended. That wasn't the right thing to say. But before I was hurt, Jesus was hurt. Because if you sinned against me, then you sinned against God first. Right. So he feels what I felt, but Jesus has already forgiven. Now, whether or not a person accepts that forgiveness is a different story. But Jesus doesn't walk around with unforgiveness toward anybody. So the first step into forgiveness is changing the way I think and the words that I say about that person and situation, which means I'm not going to complain and criticize, but I'm going to adopt the father's heart on that person. And I do that by processing it with Jesus. And then I can begin to have clarity. And if I am feeling what he's feeling, then it becomes easier to let go of the offense. 
reminds me that if we keep complaining, we run down this cycle and which can lead to unforgiveness, et cetera, et cetera. But on the notice, you know, we encourage people taking notice of God and what God is doing, not what he isn't doing. Right. So how can complaining keep us from noticing God? You know, that's one of the things I really like about this podcast is the whole theme of it which is looking at God and seeing God and noticing what he's doing. And I often find myself praying, you know, Father, I'm sure I missed something. Would you just show me where your fingerprints have been? Because I know you've been working. I know you've been doing things and I haven't seen it. And if we complain, we're definitely going to miss it because our, our complaining and criticism keep us focused on the problems and the deficiencies. And it holds our attention to the negative And so that's all I can see. And God is not in the negative business and God is not doing negative things. God is always working things together for our good. When we love him and in a relationship with him and we're following him, he's always uh, turning our circumstances around to bless us instead of us being crushed by our circumstances. So he's always doing good. He's always working on our behalf, but I'll never be able to see that. You know, I can't look at God and the negative at the same time. You can't look at two things at one time. So my thoughts and my words are actually what I'm looking at. They They give me away. They're tales to what I'm looking at. So if I'm thinking and speaking negatively, then I'm looking at what's wrong, at the problem. I am not looking at God. And if I'm not looking at God, then I can't see what he's doing. You can't notice him. That's right. You can't notice him. That's right. You can't notice him. And, you know, it's funny because in the last part of your book, you talk about this challenge. And it's called a seven-day challenge. And I think this is a a way for us to become more aware of when are are we noticing God and when are we complaining? When are we processing? When are we lamenting? So can you tell our listeners a little bit about the seven-day challenge? Absolutely. So it's basically what we did with our group and then what we did with our church. It's challenging you to go challenging you to go 7 days without complaining and so that it's not overwhelming because it is more of a monumental task than what you would think. So we um give you a plan and specific area to focus on each day and we give you scripture that goes with that area, questions to answer, uh points of reflection. And then we encourage you to get an accountability partner to go through it with you Mm -hmm. um, just for the purpose of partnership and having open and honest discussion about that. And the whole purpose is not so that you get to the end of the seven days and go nailed it because that's probably not going to (laughs) happen. The purpose is exactly what you said is to become more aware because you don't know what you don't know. You can't see what you can't see. And so I mean, I know for myself, before we started this journey in 2017, I would never have labeled myself as a negative person. In fact, I would have identified as a realist. The glass isn't half empty. The glass isn't half full. The glass glass is just filled halfway. Mm -hmm. And so I would have said I'm a realist, and I am certainly way more positive than the average person. But in this process of, of going through everything that we've written in the book and then the challenge, Um, I discovered Jesus really isn't interested in us being better than or more than the average person. He actually wants us to look like him and to think like him and to sound like him. And so going through those months of conversation and the repeated challenges, uh, 
where Holy Spirit began to show us these areas of where I was critical and I was complained, I hadn't even noticed it because I had disguised it. I had camouflaged it. I had justified it. So the point of the challenge is to bring awareness uh, to yourself and create conversation between you and Jesus about your thoughts and your words and on how those can uh, evolve into thoughts and words that look and think and sound like him. It's challenging, but it's also freeing. Yes. It's freeing because God, God's, God's in the healing business, Kim. You know this. He's Absolutely. in the healing business. He wants things to be healed. He wants us to heal from, he wants us to live in joy. Um, we don't have victory if we're complaining. There's this quote by John Piper I wanted to get your response to. And he said, by complaining, I am saying, God wasn't strong enough to stop this thing that I'm complaining about. Or the light of his wisdom goes out. And so he wasn't smart enough to keep this out of my life. Or the light of his goodness goes out. He doesn't have my best interest at heart. So he lets this thing that I am frustrated about come into my life. So the longer my complaining goes on, the more I put out the light of his strength, and the light of his wisdom, and the light of his love. Mm. That's good. And, and I would wholeheartedly agree with that because if I'm complaining, then I've not placed myself in that position of teachability where he can do work in me and show me, um, show me what he's doing, how he's going to help me, how he's going to work through this, how he wants me to partner with him in the change that this is supposed to be bringing to my life. I mean, it, it's, all of that is connected together. And a lot of times we, I, I work, I, I listen to a lot of people say, you know, well, I just feel like God let me down. He wasn't there. And I'm thinking that's a lie. God is always there. He promised to never leave you or forsake you. He was never going to abandon you or walk away from you. You just couldn't see him because you were so fixated on your frustration or your angerness or your anger or your disappointment or whatever it is, that, that emotion that you were feeling, and you couldn't see him there. And so if you can't see him, then that means uh, you're probably not listening. You're probably not uh, drawing the wisdom. You know, you're not, you're not taking from him all of the things that he wants to give you in that moment. Because, you know, God's never surprised when we show up at the corner of a problem and a disaster. He's never surprised. He always... Um, knew that we were going to be there before we were going to be there and has everything that we need to help us get through that. But I can't see what that is if I'm complaining about being there in the first place. And so it, it requires obedience. And I think sometimes we look at these verses and we think they're just this overwhelming to-do list. And God just says, look, just obey. Just, yeah. just ride with me with it. Let me help you in this process. So when you take the seven-day challenge, it's not just about altering your actions or something. It's about a heart change. Yeah. It's about being aware of what God needs to change so to be more like him. And so I, I'm so excited about this book. I'm, I'm grateful for you and your husband taking the time to, to write it. I'm looking forward to how this is going to, to help people what do you see that from your church you had people go through this challenge what were some of those positive outcomes you saw from oh wow 
those individuals? What did they learn? What did they, what joy came out of it? There was so much, there was so much good stuff that, that was uh, in that whole experience. As people began to realize um, that they had been limiting themselves uh, and not experiencing God to the fullness because they had been complaining, they found freedom, they found healing, they found hope, they were encouraged, um, they discovered joy. Uh, yes, they became happy, but they actually discovered joy, a newfound confidence in God mm-hmm. because they were so focused on who he is and what he does instead of what wasn't happening and what they wished, but this is really who God is. And then they just got I don't know. It was just radical transformation. Everybody was wrecked in a really great way. And then just began this new leg of the journey and and seeing God in a different way and experiencing life in a different way. Just full of hope. It was awesome. Uh, Those are great stories. And, you know, I want to wind up our time here by saying this verse again. Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without complaining or arguing. And I want to challenge everybody is maybe you just need to take notice. Take notice of what God's doing. Thanks again, Kim, for being here. If you're interested in getting a copy of The Complaining Cure by Kim and Bill Wall, you can do that in one of the following ways. First, you can visit my website at susankhookstra.com and sign up for the chance to win a free copy. Or you can get your book on Amazon. Either way, I know you'll be blessed. Until next time, take notice. Oh